Hello there. And welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where every JoJo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And Kono Diuda. <laughs> this is episode 47, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, The Curse of Dio. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime, so you've been warned. And you're probably wondering what the hell was that <laughs> intro. It is May the 4th as we are recording this episode, so happy Star Wars Day to all who celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> we just got done with our pre-show where we were talking all about Star Wars because, yes, very timely with it being, as of today, May the 4th. Um, I think for everyone listening, it'll be uh, May the 9th at the earliest, but close enough, you know, still in those Star Wars vibes, I'm sure. I'm trying to think if there's a there's a pun for the ninth. I know there's one called Revenge of the Fifth or Revenge of the Sixth to kind of continue. Like I feel a, like Revenge Star of Wars the Sixth week. makes more sense. Yeah. Revenge of the Fifth. Well, okay, I could see both of them. But then you do have like Cinco de Mayo on May 5th. So mm -hmm. we're already celebrating something that day. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think Revenge of the Sixth yeah. sounds it better makes, to me. It makes more sense. Because uh, <laughs> I, I saw a meme somewhere on Twitter where they kind of wanted to do like a whole week of Star Wars celebrations. So, of course, <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, the one I remember is like, I am the seventh, which is in reference is to I am the Senate oh. from the prequels. <laughs> they just had all of these different puns for each of the first nine or ten days in May. Is there a pun for the, uh, <laughs> I hated them. <laughs> what is that stupid, that stupid well, scene? Is it not just the men, but, but the, the women, women and, and the, the children, children too. <laughs> that I, would be I ate David. them. <laughs> I ate them. <laughs> for May 8th, I ate them. <laughs> oh, there you go. That should have been one. <laughs> oh, my God. It's such a bad, like, bit of context to have a day to celebrate. <laughs> oh, Hayden Christensen. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Hayden. Yeah, didn't you call him that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we were watching, uh, I forgot, something Star Wars related. No, I was talking, I think you had mentioned something about Hayden Christensen. And then I was like, oh, those teeth, because he's got those teeth <laughs> that are like just perfect. And you only see them when he says, I hated them. That's like the only scene you ever see his teeth. But I said, oh, it's Christian Haydenson's teeth. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so I was you tired. flipped the syllables around. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, Star Wars stuff. Um, that's what we were talking about during the pre-show. But now let's move on to anime-related stuff. Specifically, uh, our panel. Let's talk about our panel. Because I think the last time we shared an update on Strictly JoJo, we were only able to share a bit about the panel itself because things were still being finalized. Um, so now we do have some additional info that we can we can share openly. So for those who aren't aware, we are hosting a panel under our other podcast, Strictly Anime, and that's going to be hosted at the upcoming uh, big convention here in Chicago. It's Anime Central. It happens in May, which is like by the time this episode goes up, like a week and a half away. And our panel is titled Waifu Wars The Tournament Arc. What we plan to do is to set up a bracket of the top waifus in anime, pit them against each other, um, argue our points for each of the waifus, and then leave it up to the audience to vote and decide who moves on to each round until we have crowned 
a winner until we have decided the best waifu of all the waifus the on a bracket anyway <laughs> the, the woe the waifu of all time is what i put it as so now we can finally share that our panel is scheduled for friday may 20th at 8 p.m um i don't know the exact location for the panel i think it's in the same area that all of the panels are going to be in which is the donald e stevens convention center actually i know where you can find it oh it is in the guidebook app if you download it on your respective mobile smartphone yeah. <laughs> cell phone <laughs> yeah. you're on like your what's respective the word? <laughs> mobile os's app store uh, if you download the guidebook app and you search for anime central 2022 uh, in the schedule section it'll give you an entire rundown of all the live events and panels going on if you go to friday you'll find our panel under the 8 p.m time slot and that'll give you the information on where you can find our panel room yeah, so be sure to check the guidebook app. Um, if you want any updates as we approach the convention, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and join our Discord if you're not there already for more live updates. And I'm sure we'll be chatting about the panel before and after it happens. So if you're in Chicago, if you're not and planning to attend Anime Central, be sure to stop by. Come see us at the panel, Waifu Wars, the tournament arc. We'll be sticking around afterward if anyone wants to hang out. We've had a few listeners mention that they'll be going to the convention. So we do plan to um, stay afterwards, chat with people. And yeah, it's going to be a good time. We're nervous as fuck, but uh, we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Obviously, this is our first panel, although Courtney's had panel experience uh, panel years ago in the <laughs> years <past>. ago. <laughs> yeah. um, but a real like the first full fledged panel that we are planning out um we still have a couple things to work through but i know that in the end it's going to be a grand old time um usually we have jojo news after this point there isn't really any i know we speculated on a release date for stone ocean part two a couple episodes ago maybe the last episode i think they said some oh, the leak was like what september 2022 but yeah take that with a grain of salt it hasn't been officially announced yet yeah, so no official news, I guess, for this segment. But one thing that I did stumble upon that was JoJo-related this week was a Twitter account called the Google Translated JoJo Project, or the handle at JoJoGTranslated. Uh, the pinned tweet for this account says, I am going to put the entire JoJo manga through Google Translate 20 times. This account will be posting the progress and the links to the finished chapters. So <laughs> I guess this user is just taking the the raw translation of JoJo, running it through Google Translate 20 times and then posting whatever comes out of it um, on Twitter. I think they just they compiled the first chapter of Phantom Blood. Uh, when was this? Only a couple of days ago. Uh, and there's a picture of the first cover for Phantom Blood, the manga cover. And the way that it's translated is Joey's Special Experience by Hirohiko Archie. <laughs> Which it kind of makes me think of, you know, like the those children's books where it teaches kids like how to take their first poop by themselves <laughs> books like that that's what this title reminds the joey special experience i'm pretty sure i read a book when i was younger 
about like my first poop. I don't know what I'm thinking about of. your first. You read a book about your first poop? No, like the children's book, which teaches kids how to how to poop on their own. Yeah, <laughs> that's what reading this title, Joey's Special Experience, Joey's reminds me. Special of. Experience. And then I think that I saw one of the tweets. Um, it said the title of the first chapter, which is called, or officially called Dio the Invader. It was rewritten to God is the Winner. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess it also, you know, to tie it back to Star Wars, this reminds me of the, there was a a bootlegged version of the third prequel movie, uh, Revenge of the Sith, that was called Backstroke of the West. (laughs) (laughs) I remember, I think our friend Aaron was telling us about this uh, a long time ago, where it was English subtitles that were just translated poorly from the Chinese subtitles. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I just, something about these projects are, are just so funny. Yeah. Uh, because you can't always rely on Google Translate to give you an accurate translation of anything. I agree. I love these clever, unique type of just like stupid accounts. They're not stupid, but they just feel kind of like dumb in a fun, funny way. Um, I'm reading some of these other ones. It says, step four, beware of God, please. and then another one says i think it's the first tweet they had this is a very healthy environment for children between the ages of 12 and 16 their culture includes cannibalism and serious (laughs) rituals and the person's just like ah yes (laughs) so this will be a fun one to follow i'm sure we'll be retweeting a lot of the the best of the best and i think translations like these are they're called scanlations that they're they were prevalent with part four because there's the the duong well that one was different that was a project by i believe several chinese students who were learning english or studying Mm, english so they were trying to translate i could be wrong about this but i think they were trying to translate some of the chapters from the part four manga and that's when I mean, the internet got a hold of it. It went viral, and that's when uh, Duong Gang. Yeah, what was a beautiful birthed. Duong Chu. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess like this this Twitter account kind of fits within the realm of JoJo in that sense. It is weird though, looking at the manga for part one because I've never read the manga outside of part six, and this looks drastically different from like the, the Jonathan and Dio look drastically different from the Jonathan and Dio that we know. <laughs> yeah, it's very very much eighties style compared to what we see in the anime. Well, speaking of Dio, let's move on to The Curse of Dio, today's episode. Um, We do have a decent amount of memes. I'm excited about that because I feel like a lot of memes come from part three, and I feel like this is when when the memes all start really popping up. I'm going to have my work cut out for me. But what did you think about this episode? You know, like initial thoughts. I'm going to take something that you... Uh, frequently say which is I think it's a lot happens but not a lot happens right <laughs> you say that a lot I do I do um, so I've also used the word transitional sometimes um, in describing certain Jojo episodes but I I wouldn't call this one necessarily transitional it just has like very limited action and more exposition so but in that sense, I think it really sets the stage for the rest of part three story. So it is pivotal to understanding the journey that the Stardust Crusaders go through. 
um, subsequent to this episode. I agree. Th this episode is incredibly important because this literally explains what the fucking point of part three even is. It's not mm -hmm. about, I think sometimes people forget because part three is very long and it's very Dio focused, but the, the focus isn't to destroy Dio because he's the evil against the world. Yes, that's definitely part of it, but really the, the core goal, the core point of part three is to save Holly. Right. That's what that, that that's what the story is all about. It's about Jotaro and Joseph saving Holly with the help of the Joe Bros. You know what? I just realized how appropriate um, this episode is because this comes out the day after Mother's Day, so it kind of oh, <laughs> goes yeah. in line with you know Jotaro. Even though he's a uh, from the school of hard knocks, he still has a soft spot for his mother. Well, there you go. Happy Mother's Day to everyone, and Happy Mother's Day to Holly. Yes, who currently is undergoing a, a severe fever <laughs> who so. is being attacked by her own stand because of dio's curse <laughs> yeah um another thing with this episode is we, we get a reintroduction of one prevalent trope that we see throughout jojo which is the antagonist turned protagonist with kakyoin's redemption by jotaro so nice callback to again that prevalent trope but another thing we noticed this a lot in the previous episode with Hierophant Green um, having certain abilities that we never see again in part three. Uh, here, too, in this episode, I feel like we see stand abilities that will never really be addressed again. Um, and I feel like we're going to start to just get that more as we watch these introductory episodes in hindsight. I don't know if you also caught that. I did, yeah. And I feel like that's somewhat formulaic for Rocky at this point. Like, he'll introduce somebody, and I think he, this is purely speculation, but maybe he just gets so excited about this new character that he's introducing, and he's kind of testing the waters with all of these different powers. But if you, if you think about it, I guess not like logically, but just realistically, if all of these characters were to keep all the powers that he first gives them, they'd probably be OP as fuck. I think it kind of makes sense that maybe as as the story goes on and he kind of gets a feel for this new character and starts to write them heavily into the story that he kind of balances them out. He kind of evens them out by saying, you know, just like unspoken rule that Araki forgot or that he you know decided to sunset a certain skill or ability for a particular character because we don't ever see it again and it never gets addressed again. Yeah. But overall, I mean, that's just one of the things that you know, you just, you go into Jojo accepting along with the absurdity and the over-the-topness of this show. I mean, that's that's what sets it apart. I think it's, we're, we're unique in, in the Jojo fandom because we acknowledge that these things happen with Araki's writing, but we don't allow it to ruin or dampen our enjoyment of the show. If anything, it kind of enhances it because we can meme the fuck out of it. Right. This is just me watching this with a, a, a more critical lens even though it, it like you said it's not going to hamper my enjoyment of the part because part three is one of my favorite parts of of jojo but it's just something interesting to point out yeah definitely and we'll continue to do so because i mean we're going to talk about powers that we see and then we're going to be like wait a minute do we ever see this again <laughs> right and with that said, be sure to clutch your amulets as we dive into the synopsis and discussion for Part 3, Episode 3, The Curse of Dio. Casa de Cujo becomes a makeshift hospital, or should I say, a hospital, 
as Dr. Joseph, whose prognosis determines Kakuin's death by tentacle-itis to come in a matter of days. And Dr. Avdol confirms the deadliness of Dio's dastardly disease via repressed memory of a bizarre, bizarre adventure. Not one to ever be told the odds, Dr. Jotaro performs an emergency brain surgery with the help of his medical assistant stand to remove Squidward Jr. from Kakuin's forehead, which is subsequently sterilized with Hamon, the former power system of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, now relegated to a medical cameo. Though Kakuin has been cured of his cursed condition, Kujo General Hospital rolls in its next patient as Holly falls ill with a fever, caused by her manifested stand power that she can keep under control just as well as she can keep Jotaro under control. Dr. Avdol estimates her demise to be within 50 days, but Dr. Jotaro decides to pursue an alternative medical option, using his medical assist stand sudden sketching abilities to analyze Dr. Josephu's spirit photos for a clue on Dio's whereabouts in order to eliminate patient zero and reverse the curse. The assist stand's findings determine the location to be a region of Egypt because it's not like Dr. Avdol previously mentioned Dio's presence in that country already. The doctors trade in their medical degrees for passports as the Speed Waifu Foundation assumes caretaking duties. The trio resolves to save Holly by paying Dio a vengeful visit in Egypt with Kakyoin in tow after he turns from a bad motherfucker into a rad mother lover. Before they embark, Avdol gives Jotaro stand an identity by using the number one source for baby names, tarot cards. And thus, a star platinum is born. But be warned, dear listeners, for the bizarre adventure of the Stardust Crusaders is lined with danger and peril from the very get-go, as Dio gets a hold of the group's itinerary and dispatches an unknown stand user of Beetleborg proportions to fuck with their flight plans. And now on to our next segment of the show, is that a music and or tarot reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. And guess what? There aren't any in this episode. Oh, did we cover uh, them all? Yes, and we already talked about Star Platinum, uh, even though his name is properly introduced in this episode, but just as a refresher... Uh, Star Platinum represents the star, which is the 17th tarot card. Uh, One thing to keep in mind is that the star represents renewed hope and faith. And I think that's something that is highlighted in this episode with Jotaro is him finding another way to save Holly as a a sort of sign of hope for her to become well. I forget that like they don't name Holly's stand. It's like one of the only stands that doesn't get a name, right? Yeah, and although I yeah I talked about this as we were rewatching the episode, noticed that her stand does look like Holly the yeah, plant. Yeah, it's like a combination of hermit purple and Holly, like yeah, like the plant Holly, like you often see at Christmas time because it's it's vines, spiky vines like hermit purple, right. just with Holly plants on them. <laughs> you could have called it Hollywood. I don't know Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> Maybe could have been a reference, but. Yeah, nonetheless, there weren't any new ones for this episode, but I think that's fine because with our next segment, you'll have a lot of things covered. That is correct, because now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. 
And I want to preface this by saying I missed one from the previous episode. Um, I realized this as I was doing some some research earlier today. And that meme is from Kakyoin. No one can just deflect the emerald splash. It's a, a little more of an obscure meme, but it's essentially making fun of Kakyoin thinking that, you know, no one can deflect the emerald splash. Why, it's but a- it comes from the dub. Oh, I was because it's a it's a pathetic like stand attack or something. <laughs> I just think it's like one of those stupid lines, like when Jotaro says, "Oh, so it's the same stand as Star <laughs> Platinum." Um, but yeah, it comes from the dub because I think the the translation for the sub for most of what I've seen says something like "impossible." You can't just you know like not be affected by Emerald Splash, but that line verbatim comes from the dub so yeah if you want to watch that scene and hear the dub voice actor say that line it's it's pretty funny <laughs> especially because you could consider kakuin like a, a, a level one stand enemy yeah he's like the first <laughs> uh enemy that jotaro runs into the next meme i have is uh it relates to avdol it's the menacing spoon that's just it. It's the menacing spoon. I think it's just so <laughs> ridiculous that he comes across this spoon and then the menacing symbol shows up on screen and he's like terrified of the spoon. It's just <laughs> menacing spoon. Yeah, I just love how it just creeps up yeah. <laughs> right next to the spoon. Like he doesn't get panicked when he sees Holly. He gets panicked before that when he sees the fucking spoon just on the ground. Like he's so concerned by this goddamn spoon. Well, it, <laughs> it just means that someone was messing in the kitchen. <laughs> then we have probably one of the more well-known ones from this episode. It's Kakyoin, the MILF hunter, specifically because he says, um, you know, when he, when he tells the, the boys he's going to join them in Egypt and Jotaro asks why, he says that Holly's really nice and whatever and, and says, this may sound awkward, but if I was to fall in love, I'd like to be with someone like her. And then says, I'd like to protect her and I want to keep her happy. And now he is deemed forever as the MILF hunter. So there's a shitload of Kakyoin MILF hunter memes out there. Oh my God, poor Kakyoin. <laughs> you say one thing and then that that just becomes attached to you for eternity. This kind of reminds me of in the office. You remember how Ryan... The, when he was a temp he's like i, I don't want to be recognized as anything in this office as a certain kind of guy like that one guy yeah <laughs> and then he he burns the the cheesy pita yeah, the cheesy pita in the microwave which causes the the whole fire alarm thing and then he's known as the fire guy yeah that's what's <laughs> happening with kakyoin here like all just because of one line he says in this episode he wanted to say something nice about holly and that you know, she took care of him and inspired him and he wants to return the kindness to her. And then he is a milf hunter. <laughs> and then the last meme that I have is um, when the four main protagonists step out on their journey to Egypt because it's that really overdramatic, just like fucking hilarious shot of all of their feet in line and then all of them standing in a line like in the same pose and it's basically like me and the boys stepping out for xyz like some of the memes that i pulled um it's like me and the boys when we hear right foot let's stomp <laughs> which is for anyone who's on the uh, the cha-cha slide that's yeah. where that's from 
The other one is me and the boys setting off to find a protagonist less interesting than Izuku Midoriya <laughs> from My Hero Academia. I was like, oh, damn. So, yeah, well, as always, take. I'll share all of these memes in the Discord. So if you're not in the Discord already, check the links in the description because the link is there to join. Um, we'll also post a link to the Twitter account that we talked about earlier, the uh, Google translated Jojo manga Twitter account. Actually, just to talk about that one meme the last meme a little bit more that's my favorite shot of this episode because it, like it's so stupid but it's so epic and i feel like that's what we're gonna be like me and the boys as we walk out into anime central <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree i think it's it does look ridiculous but the more you watch it and and the more you like appreciate it in the context of this moment i think it's such an epic moment like it really is literally me and the boys stepping out to go beat dio's ass in egypt mm -hmm. <laughs> And as always, if we missed any memes, please reach out to us. Let us know because we want to honor every single JoJo meme. So one of the things I wanted to mention right off the bat, um, which I guess isn't specific to this episode, but it's something that I thought about between last episode and this episode. It's Jotaro and the way he speaks to people. So Jotaro, as we know by now, two episodes, three episodes in, he is a tsundere through and through. He's an angry boy, especially in the earlier parts of part three. And I do find it interesting that no matter who he talks to in any of the JoJo parts, he never uses honorifics or polite speech. And I, I could be wrong because obviously I'm not constantly listening to the Japanese in this because I'm reading the English subtitles at the same time. But I have noticed in the times where I'm paying attention, again, no matter who he's talking to, no matter how much higher up they are on the food chain, how much older they are than him, or, or younger, he never uses honorifics and he never uses polite speech because he is a delinquent. As he explains mm -hmm. in the previous episode, he's a delinquent. So I just find it so funny that he doesn't change that ever. It just that That is Jotaro through and through. Even um, as he grows mature past part three? Yeah, I don't think so. I haven't paid mm. attention in part six, um, but I will next time we watch a batch of part six episodes when they come out later this year. I'll uh, hopefully remember to pay attention and see if that changes. But yeah, I don't I don't think so. If I'm wrong, someone please let me know. Because again, like I'm not constantly focused on his speech style um, when, when listening to the Japanese voice actors. I just know Japanese a little bit so I can pick up on some of these things. So if there is somebody, like a character out there that he does, you know, show um, where he does speak to in a more polite way, please let me know. And for anyone who's, I guess, not familiar, um, in Japanese, there's honorifics and there's polite speech. So depending on who you're talking to, there's actually specific grammatical formats um, for different words that show either like a casual tone to what you're saying or a polite tone to what you're saying. And I think there may be even like one above that that's used for like really, really prominent people. Um, but essentially like Jotaro, you'd assume would speak to maybe like Avdol because he's older than him or some of the other like older, more important characters that they come across in part three, like he would speak to them with more of a polite speech, but he doesn't. He speaks to everybody with casual speech. I think the more obvious example of this is how he talks to Joseph, right? Because grandfather, you would call him like Jisan or something. So yes and no. Like in, in episode one, he calls him Jisan, which I think is like like not how he would normally address joseph as his grandpa because if you remember in the coffee at the coffee shop he calls him jisan joseph's like jisan oh okay like I, I don't know what the 
honorific title for grandfather. Like Oji Chan or Ji Chan okay. um, is more of like a like a like a what do you call it? Like you're more like close with your grandpa, I assume. If, okay. If you're calling him that. But you can hear Jotaro say throughout the series he calls uh, Joseph Gigi, which yeah. I think the English translation translates that to like Gramps. So yeah. it's a very casual way of of, of um, addressing your your grandfather. Yeah, and it's like if you say "sup, dude," yeah, to, to your grandparent <laughs> or something. And and so the other part of it is honorifics again for anyone who's not familiar. Um, although you probably are if you've watched enough anime, uh, honorifics include, you know, it's a way of addressing somebody based on your and their hierarchy in the social system i guess um or in the social ladder so if someone's older than you or in a position of of greater authority than you you may call them you know like senpai (laughs) well no like like jotaro san right so san it shows that that (laughs) that um acknowledgement that they are you know above you in some way shape or form or if they're below you in age or in the social ladder um, then you would call them maybe like Jotaro Kun or Jotaro Chan. Mm-hmm. So he never uses honorifics. He, he just like doesn't use any of that shit. Like he just doesn't care. And I like that. Like I like that a lot. And I'm I am curious to know if there is any any character out there that he does acknowledge through honorifics or polite speech because that would be very surprising. And I think that would have to be a character that's like very key in his development or, you know, very closely connected to his storyline in some way for him to do that. So I'm going to try to keep an ear out as we watch. Um, it's I'm probably going to miss it if he does ever say it, but I'll try. I'll try. I don't even think Jotaro would call God by an honorific. Probably not. <laughs> this is Jotaro we're talking yeah, he about. He wouldn't say like Kami-san. He would just say, what's up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> but getting into the actual episode, we start off with um, the group looking at Kakyoin laying there unconscious with that flush bud pulsating in his forehead. And this is a power that we're seeing right off the bat with Dio in part three, but I'm wondering, like, this is a new power for, for him, but also, do we ever see this again? After Polnareff, do we ever see the flush buds again? Because, you know, they say that that's how he controls people who are not willing to be a part of his mission or whatever. But every other enemy stand user after Polnareff basically says that they are aligned to Dio because they're like more evil, like more innately evil. And therefore they align to his charisma and his his worldviews of basically world domination. Yeah, maybe it's just because Kakyoin and Polnareff just took a little bit more convincing deal i think they couldn't be convinced because they're yeah. they're innately good and so he had to use force basically to get them to do what he wanted them to and that was the flesh buds which is exactly what happened with avdol when he recalled his memory with dio um because avdol also acknowledged that dio had this charisma about him that was um irresistible yeah but he knew that something was amiss and when dio realized that you know, like Avdol still had like still had a um, sound mind and body. That's when he decided to use his flesh butt attack, and even the, the, yeah, the Medusa like hair that Dio has with the flesh buds 
protruding. We never really get to see that ability again. Yeah, I feel like flesh buds are a one and done, a Rocky forgot type of moment where after Paul Nareff's introduced, we don't ever see it again. We'll see. I, it's been a while since we watched part three, so maybe we're forgetting somebody who also had a flesh bud, but I'm pretty sure we don't ever see it again. But as we move forward in, in that discussion, as you mentioned, we learned that Avdal has worked as a fortune teller, fortune teller by trade in Egypt, that he ran into Dio four months ago. Um, and that's when the whole like Medusa hair flesh bud thing came out and he, you know, busts through his own window and runs down the street and all that shit. And there's like a couple of interesting points here. So keep in mind that Avdol ran into Dio four months ago. That'll come up later, um, in the episode. But then Joseph says to Avdol in this moment that you would have died a few years later from the flesh bud, pretty much like turning his brain to mush or something. But he said earlier in this episode, or maybe in the end of the previous episode, that Kakyoin would die in a few days. And Kakyoin says that he ran, he got implanted with the flesh bud three months ago. So basically, Joseph is saying that Avdol is way stronger than Kakyoin because the flesh bud would kill him in several years versus Kakyoin, who would die in like three months. Well, you also have to keep in mind that Kakyoin is also sustaining injuries from his battle with Jotaro. True, true. But, but I, I guess still kind of feel like yeah, <laughs> Joseph was just more so addressing the flesh butt itself. Yeah, I, I feel like that's also jo- Joseph saying uh, also Kakyoin's fucking weaker than you. I mean, he's yeah. younger than Avdol, less experienced. So I guess I could see it. But just watching that this time around with a more analytical eye, I didn't catch that before. But I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's a very, that's like a drastically different, um, you know, time frame for the flesh butt to kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems like, like like Joseph just doesn't think highly of Kakyoin, which is understandable because this they don't know tried, him yet. Yeah, and he tried to kill his own grandson. And so we have Jotaro saying, you know, can't we can't we operate on him? Can we do something? And Joseph's like, no, because it's so deeply implanted in his brain that if he moves, he'll he'll die. Um, and Joseph or Joseph Jotaro's like. I'll handle it. Let me take care of it. So he grabs Kakyoin by the face and uses Star Platinum with his surgical-like precision to remove the flesh bud from his forehead. But while that's happening, it's so nasty watching the flesh bud, like, implant itself into Jotaro's arm and then, like, like insert itself up through his arm, up his neck, and, like, towards mm-hmm. his brain. And you can see his eyes starting to, like, bug out a little bit. He's like, holy shit. But he stays calm the whole time. Joseph takes note of that and even says that he finds his grandson to be very impressive, able to stay calm under this pressure in this moment. Um, and, yeah, it's just – it was it was gross to watch. It's one of those moments where I got, like, a little bit uneasy. I was just like, ugh, because you can imagine what that feels like, and I'm sure it was horrible. Yeah, I got queasy just thinking about that as you were describing it. Because um, I don't, <laughs> I'm not a fan of like needles or anything being inserted <laughs> into your body. That sounds, oh, <laughs> that sounds so weird. But you know, like needles or leeches, things of that nature. Um, and I think what irks me the most is when Star Platinum finally rips it out, uh, the flesh bud out of Kakyoin's forehead. And then you see that tentacle also get ripped out of Jotaro's body. So he just has like, this, Ooh. yeah, and he just has this open wound that's just like I, I imagine out blood. that that's got to be painful. Like it goes yeah. all the way from his brain and like just gets ripped out really fast. Like oh man, that's that's just nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
that does spark one of the biggest questions because immediately after Star Platinum removes the flesh bud and throws it in the, into the air, Joseph logically roasts the shit out of it with some jamon. But why didn't he just use jamon in the first place and like roast it while it was in Kakyoin's head? Because then you wouldn't have to worry about it damaging his brain as it's being removed. It would just dissolve right where it's at. But then it would burn the inside of Kakyoin's head. I mean, not necessarily because it's life energy. It would just pass through him. The reason the flesh bud gets damaged by the jamon is because it's from a vampire. Mm, so that was my point. thought process like wouldn't it be easier faster and safer to just take your hand like touch his forehead flesh butt and be like come on <laughs> and just like roast that thing away yeah that's true i feel like Hamon's just taking a back seat to the stand abilities in in this part though and now and i'm so... trying to remember how they get rid of polnareff's flesh bud We'll have to keep make note of that when we go through. I don't think it's the next episode. I think it's the one after that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I want to take note of that and talk about how they get rid of that flesh bud versus Kakyoin's. It was nice seeing Hamon as a cameo, though. Hell yeah. I was like, let's go. When I first watched this, I was like, oh, okay, cool. So Hamon's not totally gone. Little did I know that, yeah, technically it is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> the last, last surviving Hamon user, basically. Yeah, but just hearing that kind of wine glass noise as joseph's using hamon overdrive yeah it's like a great nostalgic callback it was it was cool i almost kind of wish though that jolsero asked joseph like what was that what was that power you just used like just some sort of acknowledgement of hamon rather than him just using it at random moments throughout the show but it is what it is um and then jotaro says that he's not sure why he saved kakyoin's life and holly's overhearing this and says that she can see right through jotaro which again goes back to how yeah he acts like an asshole to her but she knows deep down inside he is a good kid i mean he's a joestar after all he's got that joestar blood flowing through him and i feel like jotaro was taking avdol's story to heart where if you know, like Avdol was also a good person and, and did his best to get away from Dio from being possessed. Uh, Kakyoin probably couldn't have been half bad either. And so he found something in Kakyoin, Kakyoin that was worth redeeming. Yeah, that's a good point. Because if you think about part six, um, one of the things that Jotaro notes about uh, Jolene pretty early on is that she is willing to stay in the area that she's in longer in order to save Emporio. And he says, that's that's your Joestar blood flowing through you, here, through you. And here we have the same thing where, yeah, maybe Joseph's not acknowledging it in this moment, but I think it's like an unspoken thing that, yeah, he's a Joestar. He's got that Joestar mentality, that Joestar resolve, and he wants to show somebody kindness who clearly is not doing something of his own volition. He's being controlled. And then we move into the next scene where they're patching up Kakyoin and I want to note that really weird like rotating vertical shot like it starts at the roof of the the house Mm. rotates downward and then you see everybody in the room but since they're 2d and it's kind of like a 3d rotation they kind of look a little janky and it's not like the shot's bad or anything it just always reminds me of Paper Mario if anyone's played Paper Uh. Mario they do those kinds of like 3d rotating shots with these 2d models and it just kind of looks funny when they do it so i just kept every time i watch it no matter how many times i've seen this episode i always think paper mario when i see this moment i was thinking more in terms of like a pop-up book yeah that's kind of the aesthetic of paper mario that's what it feels like 
I, I'm, I'm sure it would have been hard to just animate the right angle of each character. So it's, it just looks like they're being opened from a pop-up book <laughs> as the camera pans down. Holly then tells um, Joseph about calling her Seiko, that it's derived from the Japanese word for holy. And I mean, technically her name is holy. It's not Holly, but everyone overseas calls her Holly. And uh, Joseph can't handle it because he's... It's so sweet. He's like, but Holly is the name I gave you myself. And he just like can't stand the idea of not calling her Holly. And he can't stand the idea of her ignoring him if he doesn't call her Seiko. I'm just like, Joseph's a really sweet dad. He loves Holly so much. Like that is just his world. Yeah. And then his world comes crumbling down in only a couple minutes after this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we did get a musical hint of of Holly wanting to be called Seiko in the previous episode. If you listen back to that discussion, um, it was the song that Holly was humming towards the end of episode two. Uh, but speaking of, of music, I wanted to just briefly call out the, the music that plays during the scene. And I think it plays again when ha uh, Joseph is kind of taking care of Holly in a later scene. Um, it, it sounds Italian, in nature yeah i think it's because holly is what like uh, uh half, half italian. italian yeah um because of Susie q's uh bloodline and it's just very very whimsical music uh it's called gentle sunshine it's by the part three composer and part the subsequent parts um the composer yugo kano it's from the Stardust Crusaders Journey OST, which unfortunately is not available for streaming on Spotify. Aww. Uh, but I, I love this. I, I thought it was a uh, reused soundtrack from part two when Joseph was in Italy. It, it wasn't. I, I did thorough research on that. But something about this just makes it seem like this is kind of Holly's unofficial theme or, or a theme that is evocative of her relationship with joseph just because it, it's so playful and you can see that holly also likes to te tease her father especially in the later scene where she's like um will you also change out my panties or whatever <laughs> um also it, it kind of sounds like a carl and ellie's theme from up whereas that was more focused on that those characters like romantic relationship this is more about a father-daughter relationship so I, I like that the music kind of highlights that Oh, I didn't think about that. It is a nice song, though, and I, I enjoy the moments that they, they choose to infuse that song. I think it just really, it works really well. Um, kind of like you said, it's whimsical, it's fun, and usually what's happening is Joseph probably being made a fool. <laughs> yeah, by, by Holly. <laughs> so then um, after Holly and Joseph argue with each other, uh, we get that scene where I think it's the next day. Um, Joseph is looking for Holly and he's in his pajamas and she actually accidentally gave him Jotaro's pants and all that. Um, Jotaro leaves for school and finds it weird that Holly doesn't give him a kiss goodbye. Um, I like then... how he declares, I am definitely going to school today. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I'm not skipping this time, yeah. guys. I swear I'm going to go. Um, but I do find it cute that Jotaro realizes, wait a minute, Holly isn't here. It's similar to the previous episode where he stops and says, hey, you're looking a little bit pale today. Are you feeling okay? Like he, again, is a sundere. He's not going to admit it, but he cares deeply for his mother. And then we get, again, the meme with the menacing spoon as Avdol comes across a spoon, looks in the kitchen, and sees Holly pass the fuck out on the floor, manifesting a vine-like stand similar to Hermit Purple. 
I also another thing with music in this scene when Abdul is in the kitchen, you get I didn't notice this before, but it's warped music, uh, warped version of Jotaro's melody. But it's it's played in. Is like, it really? Yeah, it's like it's sort of a I don't know what instrument it is, but it, it's a high pitched sound. I know it definitely sounds warped. I just didn't realize the base of it was Jotaro's theme. Yeah, if you listen really closely, it's the same notes, but uh, this would be like a a perfect. Is it played like a, backwards or something? It's not played backwards. It sounds like it's in reverse, but it's something. It's a it's a sound that would set the tone for like a jojo horror movie and they use it frequently throughout the show i never yeah. realized that that's that's interesting i'll have to get the exact track um but I, this was the first time i noticed it I, i've heard like you said we've heard this song many times throughout part three but it, it does have that motif so yeah sets the scene really well um uh, to talk about the eye catch i like to kind of focus on these now now that i, I understand the the stand stats um we have hermit purple for this episode and again reading it from the top of the chart and going clockwise hermit purple's destructive power is d speed is c range is d durability is a precision and accuracy is d and development potential is e so this stand sucks (laughs) it's very ineffective i'd like to think it's just because joseph is more trained in hamon so you can't have one or like you can be better in one but worse than the other so let's talk about that really quick because people often argue not argue like there's some feelings out there about iraqi quote-unquote nuking joseph when they reintroduce him in part three saying that you know he was really strong really capable you know mostly around dumb luck but capable in in part um two and then he shows up in part three and he has a shitty stand hermit purple he barely uses hamon and like what is he useful for i still think joseph is incredibly useful he's the whole reason jotaro is able to do a lot of what he does he's a, a mentor a guiding voice for jotaro he helps him mature he's the trust fund yeah which is kind of <laughs> which is kind of interesting because joseph you know wasn't necessarily like jotaro but when he was his age he was just as unreliable and just as inexperienced and you know someone who you thought would never mature and never grow up but I think that there's something really cool about Jojo's Bizarre Adventure where they show characters aging without becoming useless. So yeah, you can say that he got nuked, like his powers got nuked or whatever, but he's not useless. I think he still plays a very important part. He still has a stand. He can still use it in different ways. He's very clever with the way he uses Hermit Purple in certain episodes. And he's also clever with the way he infuses Hamon um, in certain moments. So I think it's something that I kind of hope that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about in a discussion episode down the road um, here on Strictly JoJo talking about certain unique qualities about JoJo. How, again, characters show up and, and they age throughout the story, but they age with purpose and they age gracefully and they're still useful because um, I feel like that's definitely the case with Joseph. I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I think from a story perspective, kind of giving Joseph this standability that's not as strong as everyone else's. It allows Jotaro to more fully develop as a character throughout part three. Um, because if if Joseph were to take center state, like obviously he could take out um, Dio 
if Dio was in his true form as a vampire with using Hamon. But Dio has evolved as he's taken Jonathan's body and has manifested these stand powers. So uh, Joseph can't match up to that sort of intensity anymore just because he's older. So he's more, again, relegated to that mentor role uh, to allow, again, jo uh, not Joseph, to allow Joe Toro to step in as the, the true protagonist of part three. The only caveat I see with what you're saying is that Joseph kind of overtakes the climax of part not Joseph Jotaro kind of overtakes the climax of part four no exactly <laughs> and I think that's why it's actually okay that Joseph takes a, st a step back a back seat here because he needs to allow Jotaro to be center stage this is Jotaro's story and by not nuking Jotaro's powers with star platinum we actually see the negative impact of that which is Jotaro is just as strong, if not stronger, than Josuke. So it's like, what's the point of Josuke? Like, yeah, you get to see him grow throughout this part, but you can't even have Jotaro in most of the episodes. Otherwise, he's just going to overtake Josuke. Mm -hmm. Just like in the finale where he basically is the one that does the killing blow for Yoshikage Kira. So it's like he stole Josuke. I mean, not stole. Stole is a strong word, but he, you know, he, he overtook Josuke. He Josuke's took the spotlight. For, yeah, he took the spotlight from him because his powers were just as good, if not better, than they used to be. I think the only thing that got downgraded is the world because he says in part four, I haven't used it in years, so I can't maintain as many seconds as I used to. But he can still use it. Mm -hmm. And he still uses it in the climax. So, again, it's like, I feel like that part three would fall victim to that same dynamic if Joseph was still as strong as he was, especially with Hamon, because you don't even need Star Platinum to defeat Dio. Just use the Hamon. That's all you right. need. That, that's actually the more effective uh, tool against Dio is Hamon versus Star Platinum or any stand. True. But as I kind of theorize, it's probably just because Dio has evolved from what he was in in part one. And going back to Jotaro, I feel like he, he does take the back seat in part six. So there's that for him. He does. Yes, he does. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still think Hermit Purple, yeah, it's probably one of the weaker stands, maybe one of the less like varied stands. Um no, it's pretty varied. I guess it's like it's weaker, but I don't think that that means Joseph necessarily is a weaker character. He's just different. Yeah, it, it's more of a support stand Yeah, compared to everyone else's more combative stands. Yeah. Well, speaking of stands, um, going back to the episode, Holly manifests the stand, and Abdul explains that because of her, her mental strength and her... Um, her capabilities being limited when it comes to fighting because she's a very peaceful and, and gentle person. Basically, the, st the stand is killing her. And Could you say it's she cannot withstand it? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> but then it makes me think about Josuke because Josuke is a kid when his stand starts attacking him and he gets sick. Um, but there are other kids who have stands. I was going to say. So is he a wimp or something? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was also going to say, we see later in part three, a baby that can possess a stand. Yeah, or, that's true. Or a dog with Iggy. But I feel like the baby we learn has like uh, a strong or a very high IQ. And I don't know, dogs like Iggy is a very... Like he doesn't want to be fucked around with kind of character. <laughs> he's so. strong. He's got a big ego. Yeah. But yeah, I think 
I, I would like to chalk it up to, again, the curse of Dio that, yes, these are stand users, but they're experiencing something different than other stand users because their stands are tied back to Dio. Because Abdul's mm-hmm. like, I've had my stand since I was a kid. So, I mean, to me, like, shouldn't Abdul have been dying of his stand because he was a kid when he had it? But no, I think it's just because, again, the curse of Dio. They are all linked to Dio, and he's essentially slowly killing them through the stand powers that he's through the lineage granted them so then that goes back to how was josuke able to survive his fever i imagine that i don't know we have to look at the timeline i i would imagine that josuke survived because dio died and therefore he was not freed of his stand but the curse was lifted because i imagine holly still has her stand we never get to see holly in the, in the conclusion mm. but i imagine she still she still has her stand it's just not a, like solely killing her anymore because the D, like dio's curse has been lifted so that's why josuke is able to still have his stand is because of of the curse being lifted but he's still like a stand user so yeah mm. we have to confirm the timeline on that. that's a good question like is josuke going to the hospital at the same time as holly being sick and does he get better when at the same time that holly does when dio's defeated i would imagine so because they say that the reason josuke was in the hospital or sick in the first place was because of dio's curse yeah so that he might have gotten the delayed effects of his stand manifesting like towards the end of uh like you said a dio's life (laughs) in part three yeah well, um, we also see in this moment uh, that Joseph is still the same Joseph that we've always known because he freaks out and gets angry when his family member is in danger, um, particularly Holly. And it, it's like here he sees his only daughter, his only child succumbing to her stand, freaks out and slams Jotaro against the wall. Like, what the fuck? That's his reaction is to take his grandson and slam him against the wall. Jotaro's probably like, what the fuck? I didn't do anything. <laughs> well, I'm sure he that was just also pent-up anger at how Jotaro treats his daughter. And That's so. true. That's it, very of, true. Mix of emotions He's in like, that you, moment. You son of a bitch. This is why you should be nice to your mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love this scene. I know a lot of people just you know, kind of brush it off like it's just Joseph freaking out. But I think it's extremely telling of not only Joseph, but of Jotaro as well. Again, as we talked about in length throughout our part two review series, you see Joseph time and time again, um, you know, just be carefree, be goofy and silly up until somebody he cares about and loves, especially a family member, is in danger. It's like a a switch flips and he's serious he's angry he's he's determined and it's the same way here like joseph's a goof up until he sees holly on the floor you know in pain and in agony and he just freaks the fuck out but then it's as i mentioned also telling of jotaro because jotaro's seeing the same thing you can tell he's very concerned but as his grandpa is freaking out which is his personality jotaro based on his personality, is rational and calm. And all he does is look at Joseph and say, tell me how we should deal with this. That's the first thing out of his mouth. No panic, no nothing. It's, hey, I'm a rational, calm, Sunday character. I need to know how we fix this. How do we save Holly? Rational to a point. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think Joseph's reaction is a very realistic emotion because first and foremost, he is Holly's father. He is her parents and I've just heard many times that it's a parent's worst nightmare seeing their their children suffer even 
something as as horrible as seeing your your children die before you and yeah it just that's what i was thinking as i was rewatching this scene is like i can see joseph just being this visibly shattered even though he is an anime character like it's something synonymous with what you would see in in real life yeah agreed and again like i just love that jotaro is like thinking 10 steps ahead like we need to fix this there's no time to freak out we need to fix this and i'm sure there are more examples of joseph and jotaro's dynamic with their very different personalities so i'm i'm sure we'll continue to talk about the two of them in that sense and then star platinum suddenly has drawing skills yeah okay so then jotaro uses star platinum to locate a fly in that really shitty photo of dio draws it and then Avdol goes to the library to look it up in an encyclopedia. And I'm like, bro, that is a throwback. <laughs> no, I, I like where, well, first of all, to go back a bit, um, I love that you see Star Platinum's eyes kind of focusing on the picture like a camera lens. Yeah. And then you can hear like the, the whizzing too. Just a nice a nice example of sound design in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Ooh. Uh, but <laughs> I just love when Avdol poses the question, do you have an encyclopedia? And then Jotaro just plainly says, we have a library. Like, who has a <laughs> who has a goddamn library in their house? Although this is a, like a sort of like a mansion. Yeah, earlier he's like, it's so annoying having to find my grandpa in this huge house. Like, <laughs> okay, your privilege is showing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, encyclopedias, what a throwback. Actually, my family, we didn't have a library, but for some reason in our basement we had two two collections of encyclopedias they're still down there aren't they yes they are it it's what was it grolier's encyclopedia and collier's i, I don't, don't know, know what <laughs> what those are but i just remember like back in my elementary school days having to use encyclopedias even though we had a computer lab they still wanted us to use encyclopedias because that was when we were starting to transition more into like the internet of things um the internet of things the internet using the internet that's to, a term the internet of things it is but is that the right context i don't think so is it i would say it is okay well either way um yeah i, I was forced to use encyclopedias because i thought it was still going to be a useful life skill no <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> now we have wikipedia which i know people were very uh skeptical about when it first came about but now it seems to be a little bit better yeah it's everyone's like go to source now even though I remember back in high school, my teachers were always like, never cite and uh, never cite Wikipedia because that's not a reliable source. I mean, JoJo fans are a perfect example of why you should always be careful on Wikipedia. We'll get there when the episodes come through, but you know, entries about marine biologists and <laughs> entries about bridges in other countries. We'll, we'll get there. We'll talk about JoJo fans and their entries into Wikipedia. <laughs> so as Avdol goes to the library. Um, he uses fire to light the library, which is like cool and all because he's got uh, uh, magician's, magician's red. red. But I'm also like, can you just turn the fucking lights on? Like, why do you got to be so extra? Um, and then Kakioin's lurking. He's concerned about Holly. Um, Abdul explains to him, like, Holly's probably going to die if we don't do something because no skilled doctor can treat her when they can't even see the stand in the first place. This is the only option that we have. She's got 50 days to live um, until she falls into a coma and then eventually like just rots away. And yeah, that's uh, I think that's 
that's when Kakyoin starts thinking, maybe I should join them on this adventure. But then we jump over to the other room where Holly's feeling better. She drinks some water from Jotaro. Um, and Joseph spoils her when she wakes up, brushing her teeth, washing her face, combing her hair, clipping her nails, feeding her apples, washing her legs. She jokes about changing her underwear. Like he just loves his daughter through and through it. And you can see a little bit why Holly spoils Jotaro because she she's very much spoiled by her father. But then when she says that she's going to get up and start doing more housework or continue whatever she was doing, Jotaro freaks out and like he screams at her to stay in bed. And then he gets flustered and says, uh, oh, you just need to rest. Just shut up and rest. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a classic Sunday moment. He's showing mm-hmm. his true colors, but then like walks back on it because he's trying to be like the cool, angry, collected character that, that he plays off. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't think um, he was trying to be mean to Holly in that moment, but it's just the way that he expresses concern for her. Like he's like, don't get up. Because he knows that it's going to cause her harm, but I think he realizes out of context that it that they they kind of just take it as his angry as his angry nature. But here it's it's you clearly see that Chotaro does care deeply about his mother. Absolutely, I mean, for her to just say, "I'm gonna get up real quick," and he freaks out on her. Yeah, I don't think it's him being mean to her. I think it's him saying, "I'm extremely worried about you. I'm scared for your safety, mom. Please don't get up." But then, you know, he's got to he's got to dial it back because he tries to be cool all the time. So, yeah, it's one of those rare moments where we actually see um, Jotaro emote more than than usual, which is very little <laughs> to begin mm-hmm. with. I think the other time we'll see that is when he thinks Joseph gets killed by Dio in one of the last episodes. Um, he he has a moment of panic in in that scene as well. Um, so it's it's the Joestar in him. Yeah, wow, character development at that point with his his grandfather. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, again, both JoJo's care deeply for Holly. They express it in their own ways in this scene, similar to the previous scene that we talked about with Joseph panicking uh, after seeing Holly on the floor. This is another great scene that just shows their, their dynamic and their differences. And ultimately... You know, Joseph explains Holly's not dumb. She can like she she knows she's got a stand and she's been trying to hide it, like intentionally hiding it from them this whole time so as not to worry them. And again, similar to that Joestar tendency, it's it's being selfless, not wanting to burden other people, um, not wanting to put other people in a tough position. So we, we always have to remember that Holly is also a Joestar. It's kind of similar to how Joseph doesn't want to worry Susie Q in part three. So basically tells her that he's just visiting Japan. He's just traveling for work or whatever um, and tries to keep her in the dark when she calls him halfway through part three. She ultimately knows and she ultimately goes to Holly's side, but it's that Joestar feeling of not wanting to bother other people, wanting to be selfless. It's it's just like they're all they're all the same fucking person at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess Jotaro kind of does that with Jolene, but more so like protecting her from Exactly. from like everything that's involved with this this war between the Joe Stars and Dio. Yeah, you see that too with like Lisa Lisa and Arina not wanting to tell Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um with I mean Josuke was kind of removed from everything, so that that's a little <laughs> bit different. But um Jotaro didn't know anything about Dio and the whole Joe Star bloodline until Dio's curse manifested and Joseph showed up. So yeah, it's this repeating cycle of not wanting to burden your family with this knowledge and with what it means to be a Joe Star. 
and also trying to protect them, but then it ultimately backfires most of the time. Yeah, you'd think they'd learn this lesson generation to generation. But no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about that that fly again, and let's talk about the Dio. Nile. Wah, wah, fly. <laughs> let's talk about Dio being in Egypt. Like, like they they don't pinpoint Dio to egypt until the fly thing even though again avdal says four months ago i ran into D to dio in egypt and then kakioin sh shows up in in the scene and says that three months ago he was in egypt on a trip with his family and that's where he ran into dio and got the bud implanted in his face so i'm like okay you saw him three months ago in Egypt. Avdol saw him there one month earlier. But you still needed to go through that whole fly saga just to confirm that he's still in Egypt. Like, yeah, I guess that kind of does make some sense. Like, they want to confirm he hasn't left Egypt, that he is still there. But it almost feels like they don't realize he's in Egypt at all until the fly piece of the puzzle. Then they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because, you know, Kakyoin saw him in Egypt and Avdol saw him in Egypt a month before that. It's like... I just felt like it, the, their, their brain power wasn't aligned throughout this whole thing. <laughs> I was just kind of frustrated watching it. I'm like, guys, he's in Egypt, obviously. You all saw him there. He's probably still there. Well, you don't, you don't know if he, he'll take a vacation over in Italy at some point. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't like they approached it saying, oh, let's confirm this fly is also from Egypt so that we can make sure he's still there. It's more like, we have no fucking idea where he is. And this fly is the only clue to where he could mm -hmm. be. I'm like, not the fact that two of you ran into him in Egypt in the past yeah. four months. Like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> and to talk about this fly a little bit more again, the narrator calls it the Nile Weh Weh fly. I, uh, I was also reading online that it's referred to as the Tsetse fly. I don't know in particular why Araki chose this fly, uh, what is it called? Endemic to Egypt? Is that the word? Like native to Egypt? Yeah. Um, for them to make the connection. The one thing I read that the the, the Wewe fly is a blood-sucking insect. Um, so kind of in line with Dio being a vampire in that sense. Uh, it is known to cause what is called the African sleeping sickness, uh, symptoms of which include fever, headaches, joint pains, and itching. Later stages may include behavior changes, confusion, and poor coordination. Uh, maybe that's, you can kind of consider that similar to what uh, Holly's current experiencing as well or what like the flesh well maybe not entirely the flesh but that's what but... i was thinking too uh because behavior changes like that's yeah. what happens with cockyoine so a lot of things that you could connect there but uh yeah i think this fly was just basically to get them from point a to point p yep the damn fly <laughs> Well, they, they start their journey. They, they head out. I'm like, let's fucking go. The boys are rolling out. They're heading off to Egypt. Speedwagon Foundation shows up. They're going to care for Holly around the clock um, because they're just incredibly loyal to the Joe stars even this many years into the future because Speedwagon was always best waifu. Um, Avdol names all the stands because he's a fortune teller and he has them named by you know drawing tarot cards. And I'm like, is this the only time we get an explanation on how stands are named? Because like the mm. rest of the enemy stand users all say, this is my stand name based on this tarot card. But like, they don't explain like, did someone have them draw tarot cards? And then in later parts when they're named after music or 
you know, uh, fashion designers. No one explains like, this is how I came up with the name of my stand. There, there may be, maybe I'm just not thinking of it, but yeah, I can't, I can't recall either. Yeah. I can't come up with anyone off the top of my head where they're like, this is how I named my stand. This is the only instance where we see this. Probably. Maybe the other characters were like, I like this band or I like this <laughs> song. And so or maybe Araki was like, I cannot spend all this time trying to explain how each stand is named. <laughs> you're just going to take it and you're just going to like it. Yeah, imagine <laughs> if there was like an Avdal like character in it, these other parts who pulls out like a CD library and it's like the CD you pull from this binder will determine your stand's name. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that that's too much work. Um, oh yeah, and, and then Kakuin with the 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 milf quote thing he also mentions that yeah he <laughs> mentions the whole milf uh the whole he does his whole milf speech explains why he wants to join them they're like okay that's cool dude i guess she can come with us um and they also say that uh hierophant green is a stand that has long distance manipulation and i'm like when do we see that again i know we talked about it in the previous episode because we see him control the nurse um, through long distance manipulation but i'm like when do we see that again am i just forgetting isn't it in the climax with dio when hierophant crane spreads out that web but that's not manipulation i took that as like him controlling somebody else the way he did the nurse because oh, I, I mean they're they're mean. saying that i mean yes they're saying it's his power because we did see it before but it's also one of those powers where we probably don't see it ever again yeah Maybe it, it was a, a broad interpretation that included both what he did with the nurse and the web thing we see much, much later on. I don't know. Yeah, because I know that like you could interpret it as, like to your point, he can control his stand at long distances, but that's usually called a long-range stand because Star Platinum is like a short-range stand. So when I saw the word manipulation, I'm like, well, he obviously can control his stand regardless, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just thinking about that a little bit it will probably be surprised if we come across a moment that we forgot about where he does control somebody with a stand again and then we get the ed for the first time and it's fucking walk like an egyptian i remember the first time i watched part three and this song came on and i'm i'm a big 80s music fan and i was like no fucking way no fucking way they're using this song i was like an anime used a song like this it was just so crazy to me but a perfect fit when you think about it yeah i mean it, it talks directly about um something related to egypt walk like an egyptian you know it's by the band the american band the bangles i was actually reading a bit about the the history of the the songwriting uh that was written by liam sternberg and it he was inspired by a ferry crossing the English Channel. So not even any experience in Egypt. He just, it says here, when the vessel hit choppy water, passengers stepped carefully and moved their arms awkwardly, awkwardly while struggling to maintain their balance, reminding Sternberg of the depiction of human figures in ancient Egyptian tomb paintings. So he was inspired by this song, trying to or watching people trying to uh, keep their gravity on a ship <laughs> that is so oddly specific <laughs> uh, and i'd like to think that david production also used the song because it has one lyric in particular that refers to japan i think this is in like a, a later verse where it says all the japanese with their yen 
Yeah, I like that too. I just think there's a lot of great connections. You know, we don't hear that the Japanese reference um, in the actual ED, but you're right, it's, it's in the later part of the song. The song is from the 80s. It's about Egypt and all that shit. It's just like, it's just so fitting. Like, don't get me wrong, Roundabout was great. There was something so perfect about that slow burn entry of Roundabout at the end of episodes in part two. And then it kind of just like, melded into the actual ed here it's like the episode just ending and walk like an egyptian starting up is so so good on a different level like i i just i can't describe it i just really love this ed and i was so sad when they switched the ed halfway through part three as they normally do with different cores and stuff because i think that walk like an egyptian is just fantastic yeah i mean the second ed last dream last train home fits thematically with what happens in the second half of Stardust Crusaders. But yeah, there's something magical about hearing this 80s song um, with Stardust Crusaders. It might be honestly one of my favorite EDs in all of JoJo. Um, like the the first ED from part four from Savage Garden, that's a great fit because that's like, that's 90s. That's what I grew up with. Like my mom would always listen to the radio and she'd drive us around places as, as kids. And that song would always be on the radio. Like that just was very nostalgic for me. And I think a fantastic fit for part four. Um, Freaking You was just a very like left field song to use for part five ED. But there's just something about this one that I think stands out among all of them. And it's pretty much, yeah, one of my favorites. And I think aesthetically, this is one of the more visually stimulating EDs from JoJo. Uh, in the beginning, you have a shadow of what we now know as the stand arrow, which leads to the star card. And then you have a splash panel just full of the Crusaders and their tarot cards and their stands, uh, just vibrant colors, a lot of Easter eggs referring to Lucky Land, which I believe is the production uh lucky land communication oh sorry it's lucky land is araki's personal manga studio and company and so you see a lot of references to lucky land peppered throughout this ed kind of like hidden mickeys if you can find them um, and then it ends on that that blinking eye with the crusader silhouettes which is probably my favorite shot from this ed i think overall it, it's I feel like this is what you see when you watch JoJo on acid. <laughs> it's 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 very 80s. It's just very 80s. It's mm -hmm. great. And then we have that post-credit scene, which is unusual. We don't often have post-credit scenes in JoJo, but this one is um, the boys taken off for Egypt. Uh, Dio reveals that apparently he can use hermit purple as well, um, and he uses it to smash a camera and can see Joseph and Jotaro. And I, I want to talk about this really quick. Because I know it's a fucking meme when Jotaro is like, it's the same type of, of stand to star platinum. And suddenly he can use the world to stop time. But maybe there's some legitimacy here because in this scene, we're seeing the world suddenly use Hermit Purple's ability to smash a camera and see where the Joestars are. So if the world and star platinum are the same type of stand, then maybe they can use powers that maybe are within the Joestar lineage. You know what I mean? Like maybe there's some mm. legitimacy there because how the fuck is Dio suddenly able to use Hermit Purple? Yeah, that's true. There's probably like that that connectedness between all of these like bl uh, 
members of the Joestar bloodline that they can kind of reciprocate each other's abilities. And that that probably gives more context to why Jotaro says so it's the same type of stand as Star Platinum at, at, in his battle with Dio. Um, it just makes me wonder about like Josuke or Jorno or uh, Jolene if their their stands don't are aren't necessarily offshoots of Dio's. They're they're unique in their own rights. Although I would say Josuke and Jorno's stand, their stand abilities are kind of similar, but nothing that's like Dio's. Would you say? Um. Yeah. I mean, Dio's stand, I guess, looks like has aesthetic similarities to Crazy Diamond with the That's hearts. That's true. But yeah, honestly, I think I feel or like I guess they all kind of adopt the aura punching from Star Platinum in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. So maybe yeah, they are they are all kind of connected in some way or another. And then you have Gold Experience, which is the same color as the world. True. Oh yeah, there because it's yeah, it's Dio's son. <laughs> that, there's a connection there. And so that brings us to our final thoughts for part three, episode three, the curse of Dio. What did you think about this hashtag cursed episode? I love this episode. I honestly think I love all three of the first three episodes of part three. Well, wow, that's a lot of threes. That was not intentional. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this episode, not only because, again, it's pivotal and, and crucial to the overall story of Stardust Crusaders, but also because it's it's dumb and fun at the same time. I mean, they don't leave this house the whole time. It takes place over like maybe a 12-hour period, a 24-hour period, and there's just so much ridiculous shit that happens in such a short amount of time. To your point earlier, a lot happens, but not a lot happens. Mm, mm. <laughs> so yeah, I just love the blend of how important yet stupid and fun this episode is. What about you? Actually, it, it that's mind-blowing when you mention that they never leave the house in this episode, except for the flight at the end and, and going to where uh, Dio is in Egypt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought overall it was a relatively quiet episode with certain climactic points and as you mentioned, a lot of just slapstick comedy peppered throughout. Um, but it's an episode that is very important in setting the foundation for why our heroes are embarking on this Stardust Crusade. And it's an episode that just reinforces the theme of family over everything with Holly's condition and these crusaders wanting to save her life. And that's a theme that we've seen in the past in the series, and we're going to continue seeing that, I'm sure, throughout Stardust Crusaders. And with next week's episode, next week's episode in two weeks, I, I say next week just because I'm so used to hearing that in TV shows, but with the next episode, we will officially start the villain of the week formula, the villain oh, of the week boy. format that part three is known for, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So yeah, it's going to be fun talking about the plethora of enemy stand users that they will come across throughout this journey. And the addition of another member to the Stardust Crusaders. Hell yeah, Paul Nareff. I can't <laughs> wait. It's going to be great. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for tuning in for episode three of part three of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, happy Mother's Day, belated Mother's Day, once again, to all the mothers out there and to Holly and all the other JoJo moms. If you want to hear more discussion around anime moms, jump on over to our other podcast, Strictly Anime, because also releasing today is our Mother's Day special where we talk about the best and worst mothers in anime. 
And that wraps up this episode 47 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you'll find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcasts for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be continued.